This is an Eye on Annapolis special update. Well, joining us on the phone today is Larry Bradshaw, and I feel like I probably owe you like a blazer or something like this, because this is the third time you've been on the podcast. Uh, maybe maybe I'll send you like a mouse pad or something like that. I think that'll that, that'll do it. But um, There should be some kind of app or frequent flyer thing or something here that would work, for, for sure. They, absolutely. But Larry is with the National Lutheran Community Services, which is the organization that is behind the project that was formerly known as Crystal Spring and is now called the Village at Providence Point. And we had read in the newspaper that you guys have submitted what maybe, hopefully, is a final um, submission to the city of Annapolis to get moving forward on this beyond where you already are. Uh, yeah, Don, that's true. We uh, filed an amended application May 4th. And uh, we're, we're really uh, cautiously optimistic. I think this filing is representative of a, of a real collaborative effort um, on our part with the city uh, and also with uh, uh, the group of uh, Soft Crystal Springs, I think, is the, uh, is the right group. But we've worked with, with both the city and that group uh, to really try to take the project and see where the problematic areas were. And we know that there were four problematic areas, traffic, conservation easement, stormwater management, and the no net loss provision. So we uh, really focused this um, resubmission or this amended submission on those four areas. And I think we've been pretty successful. Uh, We had really good conversations and collaborative opportunities with the city planning and zoning to understand what their real um, issues were and concerns of the project. And also the same with uh, the opposition group. And what we were able to provide uh, in our this submission were uh, a high-level summation would be we are meeting the no net loss provision. Uh, so we're clearing about 28 acres of land for the project, which, uh, John, you've been involved yeah. in this a long time. You know that it's quite a reduction in footprint from where we were, I guess, I don't even want to say how many years ago it was. It was just a long time ago. So we'll be clearing 28 acres. We'll be uh, reforesting, replanting, and or transplanting. We're approximately 25 acres. And then on our site, we'll have about three acres of uh, street trees street trees, and landscaping credits. So the no net loss will, will be met, uh, which I know was a, a real important issue for a, a lot of folks. So that, that's kind of one issue that's been addressed. Uh, we have addressed the traffic. In, in the ways we talked about, we know traffic is a big issue, and uh, we're certainly not going to uh, take a, maybe a road that's not quite uh, up to where it should be and make it a perfect road. But we believe that uh, what we've done in, in traffic mitigation, specifically at the intersections of, of spa and forest uh, coming up from the south, uh, are going to be are really going to help those individuals that are coming up uh, from the south through that intersection. We're also uh, have uh, had conversations with the middle school, and we're really striving to uh, adjust our, I won't I will say peak times, but at staffing changes and those type of things that don't coincide with uh, the wait lines for the, the school traffic and those type of things. So we, we feel like we've done a pretty good job there. And then we also have some traffic mitigation uh, at Cherry, um, Cherry Grove. There'll be some, uh, some some uh, left turn adjustment there, and then we'll be doing some uh, traffic signalization uh, at those intersections to really assist in the traffic. So you know, we, we know that traffic is, is a, a very tough, ish, tough issue. 
for the citizens of Annapolis, and uh, we're, we're really doing our best to, to mitigate any concerns. Although, from our traffic consultant's perspective and our perspective, we believe that the traffic will be better uh, with with our project than what it is now. So uh, we think that's a very positive element. And then, of course, stormwater management um, was a uh, was one of the big the, the big four. And our stormwater management design is using now environmental site design features that we will be able to uh, control 125 percent uh, greater, actually greater than 125 percent of the stormwater management needs on our site, uh, which will obviously uh, lessen or mitigate any kind of uh, runoff from the site going to the Crab Creek or any of the tributaries uh, in that area. We're also in this submission. Um, we have included stream restoration on one of the stream outfalls that comes, basically it's water flowing over the uh, athletic fields through the middle school underneath Spa Road. Uh, there's a pretty significant culvert there that the water's coming through. And as you go through that, uh, taking a look at that, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that are wrong with that stream. And I think it's been that way for many, many, many years. So in this new amended filing, we're actually proposing uh, stream re uh, restoration uh, there, which will uh, help for erosion, but more importantly, it will slow the water down as it comes across, allowing the water to filter in through the natural filtration system uh, okay. before it gets to the canoe. So we're, we're, we're really excited about that. Um, and depending upon the amount of credits we get uh, for that stream restoration, we're going to be around 144% of of stormwater retention on site, which, as you know, is more than the 125% that has been uh, prescribed to or required by the city. So those three things um, have, I think, I, I certainly don't want to speak for the opposition um, because we have had some great collaborations, but I think we're pretty close, if not there, on those three issues. The one issue, the fourth issue, is really the conservation easement. <laughs> and... Um, we have agreed to to grant um, uh, the land that is, uh, I think, that is not being developed on, but those things under conservation, under uh, forestry requirements, uh, we're going to grant those to uh, a, a, an organization to be named later uh, once we get all the negotiations done uh, with the city around what the conservation easement looks like. And uh, we have provided a draft conservation easement with this submission to the city, so they'll be taking a look at that. Uh, and when, then once they get done, uh, they will work with uh, us, and along with uh, Janet Richardson-Pearson, uh, the landowner, and uh, then go to the uh, environmental trust that we choose. And then, of course, it will be uh, put in the land records. That's the one sticky area um, that, that we still have remaining, which I think it is uh, very resolvable, at least from our standpoint. We did put in this conservation easement that in our roughly 36 acres, which is where the actual the village of Providence Point is going to lie, there is some, uh, I guess, hesitation, maybe the better word by some of these environmental or the, the easement organizations to take on that. Um, we have heard that uh, <laughs> it is difficult to have uh, one of the easement organizations take on uh, a conservation easement where there is a, a, a development in place. So um, while that is currently in the conservation easement, ultimately it could be excluded. Uh, that'll really be uh, both the city 
and the uh, the grantee organizations call. But what we did was we put in um, to where our site is, we put some language that basically said we wanted to have some flexibility. Um, you know, John, you, you're, you know healthcare and healthcare is always changing. It's always changing in senior healthcare. So we put in some language to basically say, if we have to, if, if healthcare changed in such as a manner that, excuse me, the Department of Aging or the state or regulations would require us to change our footprint of our healthcare or even create uh, maybe an additional floor of healthcare uh, for these type of things. We wanted that flexibility, so we did put flexibility in there to allow us that kind of expansion. We did put the caveat in there that, that it, there would not be expansion expansion to the point where we would be taking down trees. So the possibility of expansion from our standpoint was very, very small. But uh, that expansion, there could be no expansion for 20 years. Uh, so we, we felt as though that was something that would give us flexibility to uh, maintain our business or react to regulatory changes. Uh, but we, we haven't come to an agreement on that language yet uh, with the opposition. And that's one thing we're going to be working on while the city is going through their final review to uh, to push this forward. So I think for the most part, I, I think the other thing that we're not quite in sync yet is, is the amount of stream restoration. Uh, what we put in uh, our document was uh, the restoration could be anywhere from around 500 feet to around 700 feet. But at the end of the day, the final call for how much of that really has to be done is going to be with the city, uh, probably with the Maryland Department of Environment and potentially the Army Corps of Engineers. So we put the, the range of, of 500 to 700 uh, in our in kind of the submission. And I think uh, the opposition group wanted to see 700. Uh, but there is some information from our experts who are working on this that once you get past 500 to 520 feet, uh, there is very minimal in, minimal positive impact on the environment. So we've kind of left those two things to uh, to the city to review and kind of come to the final conclusions. But I think we're pretty close, and uh, I, I I think we, it's been a great collaborative process with uh, with both the city and the opposition group. Well, what that was probably a little bit too much information, well, but. Uh, I get going, and there you go. Well, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think there is such a thing as too much information. And and as I look at the the maps, as this goes through for the last decade, uh, gosh, it seems weird to say that, but I mean, this is it's a little bit off shaped. But I mean, it's it's a rectangular piece of property that's about one hundred and seventy five acres or so, right? Correct. You know, initially, this property was taking this project was taking a good portion of that. I mean, it was going all the way from forest drive nearly down to the Creek that is on the back side of that. And now it seems if, if just eyeing it up that the project is going to take the, a third, maybe even a little bit less than a third of that land. And it's all pretty much fronted up on forest drive. So it's not deep into the woods. It's not back down by the, uh, by the Creek there. But is that land going to – are you guys purchasing all of that land and then putting it into the easement, or is that going to be – is that going to retain with Janet Richardson-Pearson? And I know because you've also got the uh, wellness house and the dressage barn that's there as well. That's yeah, sort of- so so the, the, the math is, is fairly simple. Uh, there's there's 100, approximately 175 acres, John, as you said, on, on this land. Um, 75 acres will be, uh, which was offered as a conservation easement when the project was annexed back in 2016 by uh, Mrs. Pearson. 
is going to be uh, in a conservation easement. And that, as you said, that conservation easement is going to basically encompass uh, the uh, equestrian farm and uh, and also the wellness center uh, on that portion of the project. So that's 75 acres uh, to be accounted for. We're purchasing, get my math right here to make sure it all works right in the top of my head. We're purchasing about 50 acres, 52 or 54 acres or so. Uh, and then the remaining part of that 175 acres will stay with Mrs. Richardson Pearson. So uh, basically, all of all of the remaining uh, land of Mrs. Pearson's to the west of Crystal Spring Farm Drive as it goes down to the south will be in perpetual conservation. We'll be using most of that land to do the required reforestation. There is a carve-out on the 75 acres that you could potentially have some additional architect. They, they call it agricultural use, but that is really kind of defined as um, the wellness house will be relocated uh, and enlarged, which I think would be a great thing for the city of Annapolis. And uh, there is there are some conceptual uh, inclusions there for maybe a, a, a new barn or, or something else on uh, the 75 acres. But for the most part of the 175 acres right now, I think we're protecting, uh, I think there's 115 acres of uh, forest on the site right now. And when it all gets done, there will be the same 115 acres of forest on the site. So that's where we get the no net loss provision. Right. So I, I know you've got that, that open you? space there that's that can be reforested, which is good. So, but I mean, generally with the, with what you said, you're purchasing the 52 acres versus what your footprint is. I mean, we're only talking about an extra 25 acres that need to go into an easement or something like that. Right. On, on your part. I that think you, the number actually is about, I think, I think uh, we're purchasing about 52 acres. As I said, about 16 of that uh, will be land, you know, get that kind of borders around, around the development, which will include some trees, which will need to be included in the forest conservation. I think the actual uh, amount of area that might be in dispute on whether it would go to a third party is about 36 acres. So um, it's about 36 out of 175 could be excluded from a conservation easement of what we've offered uh, to both the city and uh, to the uh, to the opposition group is that we would certainly be willing to enter into restrictive covenants on that tract of land that is not included in an easement that would most likely mirror most of the protections that are provided in the easement, but just because it wouldn't have a third party, it might be a little different on the restrictive covenants. But the other thing uh, that I think continues to be concerned maybe to, to some of the opposition, is that we would somehow in, in future development or something we would do, put something in there, some kind of a retail uh, that would attract traffic. But what we've also said in our language is if we would want to do something for expansion, it would be uh, exclusively for our residents, uh, and it would be uh, somehow to enhance services to them. It would not be – we're not contemplating any kind of retail uh, that would attract a large number of individuals uh, to that campus. So, so, so what what, um, would some, what would an expansion again, of services be for something like that? Like, you know, putting in a, uh, I mean, I know you've got Starbucks coffee shops and all the supermarkets and stuff like that. Would that be something, uh, I don't know whether that's in the plans, but putting in a, uh, like a little uh, a coffee shop or something like that, that might sell newspapers or something like that. Is that not, not necessarily a Starbucks because that would be a public thing, but I mean, you know, just a, uh, something to serve the, 
the residents? Yeah, so the city has, has encouraged us in our design to basically, and if you look at the, the front entrance to the main building and you go clear to the left, right off of Skipper's Lane, there will most likely be uh, some kind of a coffee shop there right in the corner uh, of, of the building that um, you know, our residents will be able to go to uh, and, and be able to you know, get away from the dining room. They'll have entrance from the inside, so they don't have to go outside in the weather. But you know, I think it's, it's something like that, uh, that maybe we decide maybe on the other side of the building or something in those that we take some existing space that's already in the building and we create an ice cream shop or, or some other kind of uh, place that would be for our residents, but would have a different look to the outside. So I, I think the concern there, and, and we have to you know, basically clear up the language and clarify, is we're not looking to create a, a restaurant that's going to have people come from the outside. Uh, we have a, uh, in our community in Rockville, we do have a coffee shop in there. And we're actually, we're, we're uh, Starbucks educated, so we can actually create a lot of Starbucks things thinking that some of our neighbors might come over there that they're close by, but that just doesn't happen. And I think you just don't have a whole lot of neighbors come through trying to get Starbucks coffee. And I think we'd see the same thing here. You know, this, the coffee shop we're talking about could be family members come to visit and instead of, you know, staying in um, the residence residence, they could go for a walk and, and catch a coffee or, or something while they're out about, but certainly nothing that would be uh, a kind of mass appeal to the retail or the res- uh, non-resident. And as I look at this, I mean, it's not not to offend you or anything, but it doesn't seem to be the most convenient place to swing in for a cup of coffee. You know, a fairly long winding entrance road on either way, or you've got to come through a series of the cottages to get to it. So it doesn't seem to be very convenient when you've, you know, got a Seven Eleven on the opposite corner and you, you know, just go up the road and there's a couple of, uh, there's, yeah. you know, it just doesn't make sense to me, but. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think it's, it's again, the, the design of the building is for the convenience of the residents. And, um, you know, if they're in their apartment and they, they want to walk out and, and, and go to Seven Eleven or wherever they, they certainly can. But, and I agree with you, it's not going to be, a real convenient place for people outside, which is, which is fine because it's really uh, there for the residents more than, than, well, than it is for the public at all. Um, yeah. That's what, what the whole thing's being built for. So, I mean, it seems to me like the only sticking point left in this thing is this potential wording on possible future expansion, but you seem to have that addressed with either a restrictive covenant or if you could find somebody to grab it into an easement, it doesn't seem that you're going to be able to do much outside of the footprint of the physical village other yeah, than something that's, that's exactly true. And yeah, I, I think it's exactly true. And, and again, I think in our, in our collaborative conversations, we, we've, I think we, we both agree that again, I don't want to speak for the opposition. I'm, I mean, they've, I think they've negotiated with us in good faith and I know we've negotiated in good faith. It's just a matter of, we would like some flexibility that in case regulations or our business model or, or something. And, and John, not to jump around, but I use this as an example. When I first came into this industry um, in 1982, which I can't believe it was that long ago, I surely can't be that old, but people who back then were in skilled nursing are now in independent living because they were living for you know, 5, 10, 15 years in, uh, in skilled nursing. That just doesn't happen anymore. So skilled nursing has become much more acute 
independent living is becoming, uh, you know, it's very independent, but you may have some individuals where one spouse is having uh, challenges with health and there's home health and home care coming in. So I use that illustration because in 37 years, healthcare, senior healthcare has really morphed. And I can only, if I could predict, I, you know, I'd certainly do it, but I can't predict what our business model needs to address in, you know, 10 years, 20 years out, who knows? Um, Maybe hospitals will become so short term that that we've got to enhance uh, some of our even subacute care, which I don't know, which maybe would require us to to build another floor or a more specialized floor. I just can't predict where it's going. So what I've tried to do is just build in some flexibility so we can maintain the business model. Well, that, that makes sense. And, and, and actually, as you said that, I was thinking, you know, this was in the plans 30 years ago, um, which thankfully has only been a little bit less than that. But this, this very well could have been what people would condition or traditionally call a nursing home. Um, you know, yeah, a, skill, a skilled correct. care facility, because that was that was the answer back then, I guess. You know, so I mean, yeah, the answer back then was to, was to build big old nursing homes. And, you know, we have 160 beds at our community in in Rockville. We have over 100 beds in our community in, in uh, Augsburg uh, Village in Baltimore. And in our new communities, we're having a very small footprint. And that's and that's to address the, the needs of the individuals on the campus. Uh, they're they're maybe they've got some rehab or such. Uh, such things that helps them, you know, rehab quicker from elective surgery. And then people, when they go to skilled nursing and they just go there uh, kind of as a last resort because there are other options within their own home now. Right, right. I'm pleased to see that you were able to get together with Stop Crystal Spring and move. You needed, you guys needed to move off of the, hey, here we come, we've got our bulldozers. And they needed to move off of the, well, I'm going to lie down in front of them. Because it's not, you know, you guys were initially, it seemed you were so far apart and it's good to see that it was like, okay, well, we've negotiated this. We're down to really the nitty gritty um, to figure out what we, how we make this move forward. I mean, how did that, how did that come about? Well, I think a couple things, John, as it came about. So just to give you some history on it, we filed, uh, the last time we filed was in January of 2019. So it's been almost 15 months. We decided that what we really wanted to do was work collaboratively with the city um, to make sure we understood what they really wanted. And so the city was going through some transitions and it took probably a little longer uh, to get some of the comments back. We wanted to address all those comments first, and which we were able to do in working with city planning and zoning. And then when that was completed, we began to really say, okay, then, then we had to draw everything up. And so we began to, to draw things up, you know, such as our stormwater management design. And actually, um, uh, the Soft Crystal Spring Group did have uh, a stormwater management uh, person who they were using as a consultant. And uh, that individual provided us a, a report with suggestions, provided to us, and we incorporated some of those suggestions to make the project uh, even more strong on the stormwater management side. And we're now, as I said earlier, uh, probably going to control 144% and a 25-year storm, which was what um, the group, the Stock Crystal Spring Group wanted at that point. So I think we were able to uh, utilize that, uh, that in stormwater management, uh, the no net loss, once that uh, ordinance stopped moving around the city and we had uh, very direct guidelines 
from the city on what that really meant. We were able to put our civil design and landscaping teams together uh, to um, to meet that. So that that came along, and then um, the traffic uh, again, getting back to the traffic study and and trying to find what's the best way to make this better, or what's make what's the best way to make it better in a less than perfect situation, uh, is what we we tried to do. And again, uh, we worked with um, uh, an individual who was part of the stop opposition, stop Crystal Spring group, who we worked with him, met with him on two or three occasions saying, you know, kind of, what do you think of this? Are we on the right track? And got some feedback. So it took a little longer to get where we are, but I, I believe we were able to utilize our resources, get input from the city and get input from the opposition group to really make it a, a, a better, stronger project. And that's, at the end of the day, that's what we all want, right? We want a great project for the city of Annapolis, great project for the residents who live there. And uh, at the end of the day, I think we're moving that direction. And and probably the reason we have the two, uh, I don't want to say two, but well, I'll say two stepping stones that are real or, or barriers that are really there um, are because those are two, F, two areas that the city is really going to have final approval on. So uh, for instance, the conservation easement, we can provide a draft, which we have done to the city, but at the end of the day, before we can agree to all any language with any groups, the city has to pretty much say, yep, okay, this is this this meets our need, this is okay, and then we can move on. And and it's really the same uh, with the stream restoration. At the end of the day, there's gonna the city's gonna have to, to chime in and approve this and probably uh, possibly the Maryland Department of Environment and maybe our Army Corps of Engineers, they're going to come back and say, okay, we think the correct amount of stream restoration is 612 feet. feet. Yeah, I don't know what it is. So so I I think the great thing about working with the opposition group has, uh, as you probably saw in the paper, um, we both are in agreement that as the city reviews these new plans, we're going to keep working on trying to resolve these last two issues. And that's, that's kind of what we've committed to do. Um, it's very collegial, and uh, I think it's going to be, at the end of the day, it's going to be a great project. It's, it seems like it. One question I did have, and I know one part of the submission that you just made was the building out of Skipper's Lane, which is exiting out of the village at Providence Point, heading over toward the CVS and uh, the Safeway and everything else there. Now, I see the the dotted line on the proposal there. Is that part of the road that you're going to construct, or do you just – construct right to the property line? Well, it's an interesting question. We've, uh, right now we're constructing right to the property line, uh, but we've also had conversations with the city, uh, with the mayor, the city manager, uh, city planning and zoning about how we can work together with the city and the other landowners to extend this road over to the CVS, as you described. That's you know that they recall that the relief road concept and it was uh, in the comprehensive plan and I'm never quite sure if it's still in the comprehensive plan or or it's not but but the bottom line is we're we're working to see if there's an opportunity that we can collaborate further to get that road extended uh, all the way to CVS and that would even further enhance obviously the traffic because our residents if they had to go to CVS or or one of those other areas over there, they could go right through there. And not even to touch forest or even Correct. Correct. Okay. So that, that so, was, so we are working with that. 
Okay, but that, but that little point. stub of the road is not included in this project per se. Correct. At, yes, at this that's point. Correct. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, in when this is all built out, said and done, we're looking at 265 apartments, uh, 30 cottages, which are, are they like single family? There's like single family homes, if you will, but small. And then. Um, eight, right, correct. And eight they're, duplexes. They're, they're not all small. Yeah, some, some of them are, you know, pretty nice size. But yeah, they're, they're probably plus or minus uh, 2,000 square feet, you know, some smaller, some maybe a couple hundred square feet more, but for the most part, they're single family, two car garage units. And uh, yes. And then you've got eight duplexes and 48 healthcare suites. And that's, um, that's for those people that would need additional, um, you know, assistance in living. Yeah. That's part of that is a assisted living um, unit, which will specialize in memory care and dementia. And then the other uh, 32 beds would be skilled nursing that would address those individuals and their more acute needs. And what is the, what is the time? I mean, okay, let's, what are the next steps? Okay. You've submitted it here to the city. Some clock has started to tick, but I don't think there's an end zone to that. I mean, they can pretty much take as much time as they like, it seems sometimes, but what are the next steps to moving this project forward? So uh, from, from our standpoint, I think we have, we have a few. A, I, I do want to try to um, get consensus with uh, the Stop Crystal Spring Group and uh, in those two areas that as much as we can uh, in order to uh, that when the city does complete their, re- their review that we can say, you know, yep, we're, we're, in, we're in lockstep on this. So the city will be reviewing uh, the submission. Um, I'm hoping it's hard to say how long that will take. I'm hoping that by the time we get to, this is May, so June, July. Wow, I can't believe it's June or July. Uh, and, and the city does not have a planning commission. I do not believe in August unless they do a special session. So I'm kind of hoping that we could either get to the planning commission. Yeah, well, let's, let's be conservative and say uh, in September and uh, get final approval from the planning commission at that point uh, in time. And while We'll be working on that angle. We'll also be working on uh, pre-selling the project because we do require, the state of Maryland does require uh, 65% of the units to be pre-sold prior to beginning construction. So we'll be working on those two angles uh, over the next, uh, yeah, we're, we're all, I should say we're working on them now. Well, I know back in February of 19, you guys got approval from the Department of Aging to, I guess it was start marketing uh, the Village of Providence Correct. point. And that was the get in on the ground floor, a thousand dollar fully refundable deposit. And that's just to, is that just to demonstrate the viability of it? Well, it, it, it does a couple things, uh, John. It, one is, as I said earlier, I've been doing this for a long time. And I think when you start to um, transition over to 10% deposits, which is really what needs to be collected uh, in order to to meet the hurdle that the state has, it's a lot uh, more efficient to begin to work with a group of individuals. And I haven't seen looked at the numbers lately, but I know uh, about a week ago we had 100, about 180 people that had provided a thousand dollar deposit uh, in the project. And of course, with the COVID virus, uh, a lot of our marketing activity has really slowed down. But we're beginning to do virtual um, uh, kind of meetings or group meetings on the project beginning this month. So 
what we'd like to do is get to get to about 300 uh, of those $1,000 deposits and then start going back uh, to them and seeing, are you still interested in the project? If so, uh, you know, put a contract in front of them, let them review the contract, which has already been reviewed by the Maryland Department of Aging. Uh, and then we would ask them for a 10% deposit. So, the, the, so we've gone as far as we can uh, with the Department of Aging and the pre-marketing. Uh, I think uh, there's another step that the DOA has to do, uh, and we're hoping they'll do that uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, but they really wanted to see that we had submitted, uh, amended our submission, and kind of addressed the, the concerns of uh, the opposition group. And so I think uh, we provided that information to them earlier this week. So uh, now it's up to them to take a look at, review, and see if they have any questions or comments. But we're hoping we pass that hurdle uh, here over the next few weeks, and then we can begin to take 10% deposits whenever our marketing and sales team thinks it's the best time to do it. I would hate to be you. You've got so many bosses, it seems, that are... (laughs) I mean, so many people you got to answer the Department of Aging. You've got the city. You've got, say, you know, Stop Crystal Springs. You've got all these people that are uh, pulling you nine different ways there. Um, I, I don't envy you there for sure. But, you know, again, you know, for people that are listening that are possibly interested in $1,000 right now, currently, it's just a fully refundable deposit. And um, you yeah. got you guys have a local office over on um, Exchange Parkway, right? We do, and uh, we're hoping that uh, uh, that we're going to enhance that space a little bit and actually create uh, a more robust sales center uh, that would also include a, uh, a model apartment in it. So individuals who are interested could come over, meet our sales team, and could actually, <coughs> excuse me, walk through the model apartment and look at the various uh, finish opportunities and and those type of things um, uh, in the in the model apartment. But we don't have that yet. We've kind of been holding off on it until we get our plans resubmitted. And so we'll now be working on that with everybody else. We got to get out of COVID too. Yeah, we do have to get out of COVID. You talk about a lot of bosses. I, I've never been able to quantify this, but I've heard this from more than uh, more than multiple, more than than single sources for sure, that the senior living industry is, is more regulated than is only second in regulation to the nuclear uh, <laughs> nuclear industry. So, I don't know if that's really true. I've heard it from a, a lot of different people, but uh, I, I certainly wouldn't dispute it. <laughs> that that wouldn't surprise me. And, you know, I, I also have to think that it's got to be somewhat, I mean, $1,000 refundable is fairly easy. That's kind of a no-brainer. Okay, I changed my mind tomorrow. Give me my money back. Um, but it's, it's it's got to be difficult to sell when you don't actually have something there. And I, I remember way back when my mother was looking at buying a place in Marco Island, Florida, and we went with this developer and we fl- he had a private plane. He flew over the swamp and she was just couldn't envision what Marco Island was ultimately to become because it was just still a swamp. And he's like, oh, we're going to have canals here. We're going to have an island, you know, and, and the whole nine yards. And it was hysterical. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not looking to buy there. And she ended up buying something over on the East Coast but of Florida. But it was it's you know, it's much, much better when you can sort of visualize a little bit. So I think when you get the place open on Exchange Parkway, which is just across the street from the Annapolis Mall, is, is going to be a big help there as well. Yeah, I think so. And we have a fantastic sales team um, uh, that has been there in Annapolis. They do really great work. But it's, you know, you're, you're exactly right. You've got to have that group of, I, I think sometimes they're referred to as dreamers that can really look at 
you know, a, a vacant piece of land and kind of envision what it looks like. And then um, they're, they're the ones, they're probably a lot of those in those 180. But we also know several of those individuals will have life-changing events, whether or not it's, it's health or or other things. So that's the reason we really like to go to 300. Uh, and that way, we think probably a third of those will ultimately sign a contract uh, with the community. It's just kind of how it works. Right. Uh, but but we're real excited uh, with with the opportunities here. And and, and again, uh, it, it's been a long time, as you said, but I think uh, we're in a really good place with our collaborative activities, both with the city and with uh, uh, the Stock Crystal Spring Group. So um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, you know, you don't celebrate till you get across the finish line, uh, but I, I really do believe we'll be able to figure out these last couple things to everybody's mutual satisfaction, and it'll just be a great project for the state of Indiana. Well, it's, it's good. I mean, and I, it's not a secret that I've been a, a fan of, of this project. I think it's, uh, it's, it's obviously it's not a community for everybody. You wanted to put me in there right now. I'd go kicking and screaming because I'm not old enough to do that. And I refuse to believe that I'm anywhere close to that age, but, um, and, and it's, it is not for everybody, but it is a, is a very good use. It's a, I think it's a, a judicious use of the land there as opposed to what could be. I mean, we could realistically, depending on how the zoning worked out, be looking at, you know, a Walmart and a Best Buy sitting there. And that's, Certainly not yeah. the best use of that. And, you know, maybe maybe the best use is an untouched forest. And But that's also, you know, you've got property rights and you've got a woman that owns the property that, you know, has the right to develop it. And I know that that's sort of what, you know, you've got this other group, the Friends of Crystal Spring Forest has come through and they say, hey, you know, we just want no development, no commercial development, period, end of the conversation. And, I mean, they put out a big, fairly strong alarm I guess it was to their people, but you know, are they, have they had any conversations with you guys or do you even know who they are? Because you can't even tell from their Facebook page or their website. I, I don't, I know a couple of the members uh, only through my interactions with uh, the stock crystal spring group. I, I think there's a bit of, I, I don't, I'm speculating here a little bit, John, but my, my kind of uh, thought process is I think there have been a, part of the Stop Crystal Spring group uh, and that there might just be uh, a few of those that uh, aren't interested in any kind of compromise or anything being developed there that that may be going off to the friends of friends of the, the forest or whatever the right, right name is but I don't know I don't know who they are and so I haven't had any collaborative okay. uh, conversations I have met with several of the Stop Crystal Spring groups over the last couple of years um, of course, Gerald Weingrad, uh, and but several of his uh, other individuals who have been on there, and I probably have met a couple people that I do know on there on the other group, and uh, uh, but not, we have not had any conversations with them. With the September planning and zoning approval, uh, tentatively, what is the time frame then for you know construction, build out, occupancy? At that point, would you? think that you break ground perhaps the spring of 2021? I wouldn't think so. I think, John, it's, we think we've got to sell about 100. I don't have the math right in front of me, but it's about 158. Let's call it 160 units on the project to get to that magic number for the DOA. Um, if we were able to get to 300 uh, $100,000 deposits by October, if you would begin to transition those. I think, I think getting it, oh, it's always tough, tough to predict this, but I think getting it marketed in less than 12 months would be a Herculean task. 
So as this has kind of moved moved a little farther away, I'm hoping that construction could begin in early 2022, maybe late 2021 if we're really successful. Um, but um, I don't want to. I don't want to leave the impression that um, the planning commission is going to approve this in September. I'm just hoping that you know it's May, June, July. That would I would really give three to four months uh, for for review and, and preparing the planning commission. So I'm kind of hopeful that that's the timeline, but I certainly haven't been guaranteed any kind of timeline. You mentioned a 160 that you have to sell for the Department of Aging to allow you to go. Now, what what is why do they why is that restriction in place? The, that legislation or that uh, regulation has been in place for a long time. Uh, matter of fact, probably since I've been in Maryland, which has been over 30 years now. And um, I think the idea behind it, John, is pretty simple. They want to, A, uh, the Office on Aging or Department on Aging, used to be called the Office on Aging. Department on Aging wants to make sure that there's a demonstrated need for the uh, marketability of the project and that it's going to be adequately occupied to make it feasible in the long run. Uh, and I think that the idea was many of these individuals, you know, are selling their house and, and using a lot of their life savings to enter the community. And just to make sure that the project is viable, it has a market, people want to move into it, and uh, all of those kind of fitting into the financial feasibility model. I, I, that, that's pretty much why. It's more of a consumer advocacy uh, hurdle than anything else. Nothing wrong with that, I don't think. I mean, you know, protect the protect the people, make sure that they're buying into a uh, you know not into a Ponzi scheme. Not that not that it would be, but yeah. it's, uh, I mean, nothing nothing wrong with that. And and again, just to to reiterate, this is a return on investment type of a community as well. And I know you had a couple different tiers. So uh, in the most simple sense is that you know when you purchase a a residence at the Village of Providence Point. Um, when you you leave, you return, when you leave or pass away, a percentage of that entry, that purchase price, if you will, gets returned to the estate, correct? Yeah, so there's, there's really going to be three tiers. One is, and they all have different price points. So the higher the price point, um, the higher the return. So if at the highest price point, price point levels, you're going to be returning 90% uh, of your entrance fee. So just the math is pretty simple. The, if your prices go down uh, to the next level, you could be guaranteed 50% in. And those individuals that want the lowest price price point, then that refund model is not guaranteed any kind of uh, certain refund. It would pro rata burn off over a five-year period. So uh, it, it's the less you pay, uh, the less your refund. Obviously, the more you pay, uh, the more your refund. Right, right. Well, it's, uh, you know, and, and I think that's a smart way to do it, too, because it does allow you to bring in people of, uh, you know, different means. You know, you may have somebody that is uh, very wealthy that may have no problem and want to, you know, put all that money up front and take that 90% back. But there's other people that want to be in there in, in the community uh, that may not have that. And then they're willing to take, you know, maybe they don't have uh, a family that they need to plan for or take care of after they after they pass away. So that's, um, I think that that makes all the sense in the world. Well, John, I'll give you my favorite story. Uh, I was, and earlier in my life, I was a chief financial officer and I had a resident res, uh, financial committee and I had two CFOs from Fortune 100 uh, companies, both very, very financially astute 
One of them bought one of the refund policies. One of them bought the lowest entry policy. And clearly, they both could have afforded whatever they wanted. And so I asked them one day, I said, tell me, you, you gentlemen are both uh, financial wizards. Why did you pick different ones? And it was, the answer was so simple. Uh, the one guy said, I don't have any children. Why should I pay more money and uh, just to have it to go? I don't have any children to, to go to. And the other individual said, I have five kids and I want to preserve their estate. Simple as that. It wasn't, it wasn't a financial decision as much as an emotional decision. Yeah, no, that makes per- perfect sense to me. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today in the, the midst of our pandemic, which hopefully we're seeing the end of as we speak. But um, I appreciate the update on this. Congratulations on resubmitting the what we are fingers crossed is the final plan. And I, I, I'm looking at the pictures from dating back to 2011, and it's just night and day from what it was to what it is. As I said before, it seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, this is a, a service. It's a community that's that's needed. It's been demonstrated to be needed here in Anne Arundel County. I mean, there's an aging population, and um, it it, yeah. it makes all the sense in the world. I you know wish you guys luck with uh, the city and and the review. And I'm I'm very glad that you were able to get together with the Stop Crystal Spring, and you met in the middle there, and you were able to to hash this out. And it really doesn't seem like it was that much of a you know of of a movement on either part. I think you were ultimately closer than you realized you were at the beginning. Is what I'm kind of getting at, I guess. Well, I think uh, I think the the collaboration between all three groups, the city, the Stop Crystal Spring, and ourselves. I think that was that was really helpful. I mean, I feel very fortunate we were able to get the three of us, three groups together and work collaboratively. And that makes all the difference in the world. And it's made a stronger project for us. I think it's made it a stronger project for the environment and hopefully uh, for the city of Annapolis as a whole. Without that, and one thing that I want to just mention before we hang up on the phone here is that one thing that we always hear in the community is that we need more jobs here in the city of Annapolis. And the city of Annapolis doesn't have that much room for you know, companies that were able to do this. Now, this is talking about 200 jobs during construction and moving forward, about 200 full and part-time jobs as well. So this is yeah. a, right. you know, a, a job creator for the city of Annapolis, as well as Anne Arundel County. You know, that's, that's what we need. I mean, we've got some people that live here that that are looking for jobs and certainly knows that, you know, as, as we get out of this and I'm, you know, with the unemployment, the way it is today, we can't turn our nose up at any job. And I think that it's, you know, you look at the tax revenue that the building is going to, or that the project is going to bring into the city year after year after year. It makes all the sense in the world to me. Well, we agree. I think, as I said, it's going to be great for the, great for the social uh, aspects of the city of Annapolis, but I think it's also a fiscal winner too. And, uh, you know, between jobs and economic, uh, uh, not only economic, direct economic from taxes and those type of things, but also in the type of economic engine that a lot of our residents will be driving, we'll, we'll, all, we'll all go for the good, and that will go for the greater good also. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Larry, I would like to check in with you periodically again. I mean, this is a uh, project that's been going on forever, and I think that we do need to sort of follow it through to the end to make sure. So I'd love to check in with you and, you know, maybe probably in September and see where we stand with planning and zoning and what the next steps are and make sure that we uh, came to agreement with the city and everybody else on the stream restoration and the, uh, and the East conservation easement, you know, we'll see, you know, just make sure that we keep people informed with what's going on because uh, you know, this is a, you know, quite a difference from what it was a decade ago. And it's, uh, you know, it looks like a great project moving forward. Yeah. 
we'll certainly keep you informed. Uh, and and I'm I'm very confident we'll uh, be able to work with the city and and Mr. Weingrad's group and get this thing done. Larry Bradshaw, who is the CEO of the National Lutheran Communities and Services, who is the I hate to call you a developer because I mean you're really an operator of communities uh, as, as among a number of things, but you're also a, a developer as well. And um, I thank you very much for your time. I wish you uh, nothing but the best and you know stay healthy and safe and wash your hands and don't touch your face and everything else that they tell us not to do. Well, we'll certainly do that, John. And, and I, I, the developer has that negative connotation. So I like to be uh, referred to as owner operator, but that all works too. <laughs> all righty, Larry. Thank you very much. John, thank you so much. This has been an update from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Twitter at ionanapolis. And be sure to subscribe to our daily news brief podcast, which is delivered every Monday through Friday to your phone or device at 7 a.m.